What's up? Welcome back. We have a special episode of The Change Love for you today. Today, we're talking with Corey Wilkerson, Senior Director of Engineering at GitHub. And we're talking about GitHub Code Spaces. For years now, the possibility of coding in the cloud seems so close, yet so far away for a number of reasons. According to Corey, the raw ingredients to make coding in the cloud a reality have been there for years. The challenge has really been how the industry thinks. And we're now at a place where the skepticism in cloud-based workflows is, quote, non-existent. After 15 months in preview, GitHub not only announced the availability of code spaces for teams and enterprise, they also showcased their internal adoption with 600 of their 1,000 engineers using it daily to develop GitHub.com. On this show, Corey shares the full backstory of that journey and a peek into the future where we're all coding in the cloud. Special thanks to our friends at Fly.io for partnering with us to make this episode interruption-free. Fly lets you deploy your apps and your databases close to your users, and their vision is simple. All apps should run close to users. In minutes, you can run your Ruby, Go, Node, Dino, Python, or Elixir app and databases all over the world. No ops required. You can launch most apps in about three minutes, and they have a generous free tier so you can easily prove to yourself and your team that Fly has everything you need to run your app globally. Give it a try and check them out at fly.io slash changelog. All right, let's do this. Corey, welcome to the changelog. We've been looking forward to this conversation, been paying close attention to code spaces, been paying close attention to, I suppose, the right timing for devs to truly consider what coding in the cloud can do for them and when would be the right time to do it. So obviously when I saw your post on GitHub's engineering team moving to code spaces, you know, it's a big deal. I had to reach out, get you on the show. So welcome. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Thank you for having us and your interest in code spaces. So the big news is that GitHub's engineering team, all 600-ish, have moved to Codespaces. Maybe we just start right there and you can tell us that story. Sure, yeah. I mean, there's all kinds of places to start. But, I mean, I think the the net of it is, if you look over the past 30 days right now, we have 600 GitHub engineers active um, in Codespaces, which I think is just a really... Uh, interesting and, and compelling story, right? Like we were just talking kind of before the show a little bit. Like uh, I started off as a bit of a skeptic in this space. Like I was kind of roped into the effort and asked to kind of help move from what was effectively kind of no adoption into a real commitment to code spaces. Um, and that turned out to kind of be a heck of a journey um, and, and kind of where my story in, in code spaces starts. Um, what would be kind of most interesting to explore there? Do you want to know kind of like ground zero, like what did it look like from day one and how we built momentum there? Or like what, what all would you like to dig into there? I like the whys. Why are we doing this? Why did GitHub decide to do this? And then how did you get involved? Yeah, I, th- I think the why here is basically we saw an opportunity to remove an entire class of issues like productivity issues that I think we've all kind of experienced as engineers, right? I've been doing this for 20, 25 years. Y'all have been in the industry for some time, right? And like a near constant is this this friction you feel over development environment uh, complexity, right? Like it's like it's an ever-present challenge. There's not a single day where uh, you don't see some kind of signal of like environment complexity or challenge. And I think GitHub saw an opportunity with kind of where the industry was and a lot of tech that was out there to kind of bring these things together. So so kind of the the, the, the mentality in the industry and the tech that had emerged uh, to remove this this class of issues. And GitHub is around a thousand engineers, right? So uh, you can imagine that winning back productivity for us gets very valuable kind of very quickly, right? Like at the scale of a thousand engineers, we're, n- we're not a huge shop. We're still relatively small. Uh, but still, you know, down developer downtime um, costs a lot, right? And I think we saw here that we could, you know, bring this tech together uh, and effectively just kind of remove this, this class of friction for GitHub engineers and, of course, like the, the industry mm-hmm. uh, at large. Does that also speak to the lower barrier to entry yeah in terms with, of class of issues without a doubt you know like i think about uh one one big benefit of code spaces is just accessibility into projects now right so the idea is that the environment kind of ships with the project you had to for some time you know for my entire career you would have to bend your environment to the will of the project right your local desktop you'd have to kind of like make the thing work to support the project right and that was oftentimes not a smooth transition whatsoever and now the idea is like, hey, the environment's kind of attached to the project, right? It's like part of the repository. We capture the environment and configuration. You click a button. We launch that compute for you out in the cloud. You attach your development environment and you're up and running. Like that, that class of problems is now gone. So one, it solves friction. Two, it makes things far more accessible. And I'll say that I'm a, personally, I'm kind of a top-down learner and not like bottom-up, right? I think many people are kind of top-down. 
Meaning like I like to start to like in a new application that's unfamiliar to me, I like to start to tinker in it a little bit, right? And like change a thing here, refresh, see what happens and see if I can kind of gain purchase or traction that way, right? And like Codespaces is a perfect tool for like exploring kind of new spaces. Well, Adam, you can speak to friction when it comes to development, right? Because Adam, you hack on our code base just infrequently enough that every time you work on it, I think you hit friction, don't you? Yeah, if I accidentally homebrewed upgrade or something like that, and, uh, you know, I'll upgrade Postgres or something will happen to my database. You know, I've learned enough now to navigate our setup scripts better. But as Jared said, so infrequently that, you know, I'm not always on the up and up, you know, and and something will change. I'm just not on, you know, on the tip of the, the code base is as much as I can be. And so I definitely hit this often. I mean, even within like older days, too, with like Ruby and you know, pulling somebody's project with a Ruby version manager or, you know, RVM or whatever you would use, like always trying to, you know, be mm-hmm. in which version of the language is supported in this certain code base, you know, doing that in in the gem file or something like that, locking that thing, or even understanding this the the syntax to define how you would roll up to a different version so I can support this version of Ruby to this version of Ruby. You know, it was it's just been a challenge. And so when, when I spoke to barriers of entry, that's what it is. Like you have to learn so much ceremony, which is, you know, over time as being a developer, you will learn these things. But on day one, if you can remove that friction, you know, and this is one, you know, a ton of sign, time savings for existing engineers, existing teams, et cetera. But then also removing that barrier to entry. Like it's just. Yeah. Yeah. I can play on that a little bit. I mean, I've like, I, I was speaking to a principal engineer inside of GitHub yesterday. And I was like, he's been here for almost a decade. He's just excellent. Mm-hmm. You know, at some point he's going to turn into an Octocat. Like that's just like, just, <laughs> he knows GitHub through and through. <laughs> and I asked him, I was like, you know, how many, how many hours a month do you think roughly you kind of lose in productivity when like, it's like environment breakage issues, right? Something, something kind of a, a unexpected enters the environment and kind of throws you out of flow. Or maybe you have to like refit your environment to explore some PR or a new project, et cetera. I was like, give me your read. And now you have to remember, this is like one of our best engineers, principal level. Like this is like, you know, kind of a best case scenario, so to speak. Kevin said he's losing 10 hours a month, right? On basically like lost productivity time. And so at GitHub scale, you can start to do the the math there, right? And assume again, that's best case. You know, we have a thousand engineers, right? So Kevin's losing 10 hours a month. You can do the math, extrapolate that over the course of a year and just getting back that time. And it's not just like the, the, the recovery of like engineering time, right? It's like the recovery of value creation time. And I think that's the, the most compelling part, right? So it's not just like, oh, well, it, you know, we, we lost this much kind of productivity time. Really, the, the, the loss is like, what did we not build in those moments? Like, what did we not get accomplished in those moments? And I think code spaces, you know, kind of removes that class of issues again uh, and keeps us focused on creating value. And to me, that's like, that's so refreshing. Like, that's what I want to be doing when I'm at work, like I want to be, you know, building kind of my impact story and building software for the industry, right? Like I want to like get up as this high leverage moment. Let me, let me ship high leverage, you know, impactful code and not toil over my environment. Mm-hmm. Why do you think now is the time for code spaces or just in the cloud development? Yeah, I think, you know, all the, all the raw, ingre- raw ingredients are kind of like now there, right? And like a lot of that, like the raw ingredients aren't just like tech. Some of that's just like how the industry thinks, Right. So, like, containers have been on a tear now for years, right? Like, containers are kind of everywhere. Like, you see that you see maturity yeah. across the industry with respect to, like, container-based workflows. But I think another kind of critical part around this was skepticism kind of around cloud-based workflows is basically non-existent at this point, right? For Like, first, you know, I've been in the, de- uh, the industry for a while, and maybe a decade ago, you were like, oh, I would never move that thing out to the cloud. Like, that's got to run on my precious kind of racked hardware here in this closet. Like, that mentality is effectively gone, Right. And like we're moving more and more precious workloads to the cloud on a daily basis. And like there's no reason we can't do that with our um, development environments today, which are kind of like single track. Right. So we talk about these being we think about the laptop being kind of a bit of a constraint. Right. It's like this one curated bespoke environment, the only place I can work. And it's like what like why do we kind of have that arbitrary constraint? When we don't have to. And then, of course, like, you know, VS Code out there is like obviously another kind of key part of this. Right. So it's like this super powerful thing. And like we look at, you know, this, the, the, the idea that containers are everywhere. We have VS Code, this really powerful tool that we work closely with. And we've got, you know, the, 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 the fact that the industry now you know, has broadly adopted, like exclusively almost adopted the cloud. Like it felt like we had the raw materials in place to go pursue this. Yeah, that's interesting you mentioned that, too, because I was thinking about the timeline and just the perfect 
I'm not sure if this is the best way to say it, but the perfect storm, really. Like you got the trajectory of Microsoft supporting open source and Linux. I'm not sure which came first, if it was Linux and it was open source or open source, then Linux, then obviously the acquisition of GitHub, uh, the long tail investment of VS Code, the and not just the investment into it, but then also the community's support of it. I mean, there's a lot of Vim users out there, but there's, there's so many VS Code users out there. And like they're diehard and it's just so much. Yeah. I mean, VS, VS Code is just a powerhouse right now. And I mean, yeah. it's like it's, it, wins the, it wins business because it's, a, it's a, an incredibly powerful tool, right? Like, mm-hmm. and that's what we're focused on with code spaces. And like you see it with VS Code, like you just want to build kind of best in class product experiences, right? And then the, the users will follow, right? Like people are looking, developers especially, especially, are seeking kind of productivity, right? Like if we gave them a tool that didn't make them more productive, they would just reject it out of hand, right? And that, that was kind of the North Star for, I think, code spaces, which is like this has to unlock productivity for us, right? Like it cannot at all create any kind of drag or we will just lose to, to kind of like local desktop development flows. Like it has to be in parity with that and then add some uh, for us to actually, you know, enter into the space successfully. So you said something interesting about the preciousness of our development environments. And I'm with you that we've commoditized the servers, but we definitely have not commoditized dev because it's so it's so intricate. It's so set up. Sometimes it's like there be dragons. Please don't touch my laptop, right? Because it works right now, but I'm not sure if it's going to work tomorrow. I do hate that. I think it's like almost a different skill set of like maintaining that. I mean, there's there's overlap between development and like the maintenance of a development environment in terms of things that you need to learn, but it's almost a different task altogether. So I don't like that about it, but it's still very true that our development environments are precious to us and they're tweaked and configured and customized and all the things. So I'm sure there's probably lots of resistance to this. Um, we talk about our setup, you know, we have probably tens of thousands of lines of code and very, very few dependencies in our stack, but GitHub is 14 years old and there's millions, mm-hmm. uh, a million plus commits. And I'm sure the dependency list is very long. What kind of effort was this? And tell us the story of like bringing it along. It is. These are, these are, these are all very, very, very true points. Yeah. You know, the last thing I wanted to do was you know, kind of be the vessel that went out to GitHub and said, like, I want to change your development environment, <laughs> right? Like, because these things are, like, so precious, right? Like, yeah. and, like I'm an engineer, too, right? Like I, like, I think my environment is very, very much precious, right? And here I was, you know, kind of the face in GitHub of saying, like, well, we, we think we have a better way. Come join us over here. Uh, and, you know, I couldn't have done – I started off on this journey as a skeptic, right? And I was – I think I shared some of this, too. It's just, like, it wasn't – I didn't think that um, – you know, I didn't think this would be a fruitful journey necessarily, right? I was just going to go do my level best as an employee, see if I could make it happen, build momentum, et cetera, and see if I could find something out there. Uh, and now on the other side of this journey, you know, I feel like I'm I'm completely on the, the other end now where I'm just like, this is the future, right? This is the way that we will absolutely kind of build software. But, you know, going back into the 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 core of the story, like it was literally just me out there calling on my friends to begin with inside of GitHub. I've been there for five years, Right. Uh, and you know, the first few users were just me tapping into relationships saying like, Hey, can you give this thing a shot? Can you try this out? Like I want to, I want to get your kind of feedback and feelings about, you know, where this is at. And no one could yet use it on our core repository. We call it GitHub, GitHub, right? The organization's GitHub, the repository's GitHub. We didn't have this thing standing up in, in a code space yet, but we had other repositories that were compatible with code spaces. And so I'd go out and ask, you know, favors of friends, right? And just be like, can you try this out and give me some feedback? And generally, the feedback I would get back was you know, we have first resistance. Like, why would I do this? Like, it's just going to – it's productivity loss, tax on productivity. I don't trust HTTP. There's going to be lag, like, you know, that kind of feedback. But then people would try it, and they'd come back and be like, huh, like, that was maybe better than I thought, right? So that gave me some sort of like – and I was at the same time kind of as I hacked in the space too, I was starting to get some of that like, oh, well, there's some something here, right? I think the big aha moment for me was – uh, connecting VS Code into my code space out in the cloud and still retaining that kind of local development experience, right? So it felt to me like it was still very local. Like, and the, the, the kind of magic is the, the synchronization that's happening between the local environment and the cloud feels totally transparent. But that aside, you know, it started with just a, a very uh, small number of users. And so, you know, we would go back to leadership and GitHub and talk about the progress we were making. 
And, you know, the, the early days, the story was, uh, I have five people that, you know, have responded uh, positively to code spaces, right? So, so not much of a story, but like, you know, starting to kind of make a little bit of progress. And then maybe it was 10 people. Uh, and then, you know, the next kind of like iteration on this was like, well, let's go find a team, right? Like, let's get a full team and code spaces. Like, how can we get a single team? So six to eight people, right? Uh, committed to using code spaces and like stick, stick in this thing. And at this point, we had had this kind of other effort running on the side to get GitHub, GitHub, the core github.com repository compatible with code spaces. And we'd gotten it to a point, we, we detail how we did this in the blog post, but we'd gotten it to a point where performance was mostly acceptable. And so now we could go shop this with a team that worked primarily on github.com and see kind of what their experience was. But I think, and we're making progress there. So we're ramping in. I think y'all have talked to Kyle Daigle in the past. Kyle, Kyle was um, the leader of that effort that, that kind of got this team spun up inside of Code Spaces on GitHub Core. And again, it was, you know, somewhat retentive. Like people were sticking and going like, wow, this is not what I thought, right? It's better than maybe what I thought. Mm-hmm. But I think the real kind of breakthrough moment came when uh, we stopped calling this dog fooding, right? Like the, you hear this term all the time, like dog food. I think it actually originated, I, I looked up on... Wikipedia, like I think the term originated inside of Microsoft um, hmm. a number of years ago. But uh, GitHubers, my colleagues, just did, don't 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 respond well to that term, right? Like dog fooding isn't really kind of like doesn't inspire anyone to go do anything, right? Just like eat the dog food, like who like who feels good about that? And so what we did was we launched what we call the GitHub Computer Club, and I would love to like dedicate a full episode to this. It's like a really interesting concept and something I hope to. Uh, to bring out the, to the industry. But we asked people to join the GitHub Computer Club. Uh, and in doing so, right, they took this c- commitment or oath, right? They basically like, and th- I wrote up this like script, right? So like, I do solemnly swear to never, no shadow compute, no desktop compute. I'll join this thing and forever, you know, be a member of the elite exclusive GitHub Computer Club. And we made a bunch of noise about that. it. Yeah, people loved it. <laughs> That's like, so cool. People straight up were just like, this is great. Let me in. I want my membership card. Right. And in doing so, like we had to give them something in return. So they would join the computer club. But we offered to, you know, our exclusive, quote unquote, members, uh, what we call the concierge team. And this team was built to kind of support their productivity and success inside of code spaces. So the second these people hit friction, you know, one of the one of the requirements of entering the computer club was that you had to kind of raise your hand. Like you couldn't just disappear and go back to local desktop. Like you had to raise your hand, you know, vir- virtually raise your hand and say, I'm about to opt out of this because like code spaces can't keep my business right now. And the concierge team that we had built would like swoop in, right? Like respond to like, what's going on here? Like, let's dig into it. Why can't we keep your business in code spaces? And we continued to play that model back and forth between computer club and concierge team, right? Until we had built the product and built enough momentum inside of GitHub that like we, you know, one day we kind of looked around and we were like, whoa, we have hundreds of people developing github.com and github code spaces and i think the real story is there is just like you know commitment to make it happen right like we wanted to be successful with this and not just go talk about it in the market but actually show that like like this is this is a better tool Mm -hmm. uh for us and that the you know the computer club is still going strong people are demanding that i give them like satin and denim jackets um i'll get around to that at some point well i hate to break it to you Corey, but gcc is already taken as an acronym so you got a nameplate yeah. conflict on that one. Yeah, I, well, maybe the Code Spaces Computer Club, so we can <laughs> go with GCCC. There you go. That's all the C's. I, I like this aspect because you treat this like a customer scenario. Like you built a product, and you have to retain customers, and you're actually exercising a great principle for anybody building a product, which is talk to users. And, yeah, you know, and when they have trouble you know, swoop in, as you had said, and understand those problems and be committed to fixing them. And I think that's like a a great way, a great story for how Codespaces became powerful inside of GitHub because that's exactly how you build a product. Not just, let's just try this thing and hopefully our internal team adopts it by force. As you had said, you know, you, you know, you wanted to go along with your employee card and be able to see if Codespaces could work. And at the other end, you became a believer, but you're not forcing GitHub engineers to use it you're asking them to try it in this case the computer club with the oath and then as you said you look up and you see hundreds now and i think that's right Uh, like the the position was like like no fiat like we didn't want to lead with like you have to do this like that's the absolute wrong way to get adoption in your product right and like we wanted to literally win the business of our colleagues right so like we wanted to build 
such a fantastic experience in code spaces that people would choose it, right? And yeah, I, I think the computer club probably you know, kind of boosted adoption a little bit, no, no doubt about it. But like what made you that use work? Some emotion in there. You got to put emotion in there. Yeah, exactly. You have to right? get have a soul. It needed a, a, right. some soul behind it, right? And that, that was the idea. And like the fact that we did respond to this and like we actually did win business, like when things didn't go well and when people wanted to opt out, they could, you know, they would for a week or whatever. But the goal was like, how do we get them back in here, kind of remove whatever that impediment is and get them, you know, productive in, in code spaces again. So what happens if you take the oath and you go back? Do you just, do you chop off a finger or what's the... Yeah. What's the penalty? <laughs> well, you know, uh, we we leave that intentionally vague, right? So people can assume the worst. No, no, I, I, I don't know that we've had, you know, any real regression there just yet, which is good. Code Spaces is super retentive. I think we have people, you know, from time to time use local desktop. I had a, a colleague. This is actually, I think, in the blog post maybe. Uh, a colleague of mine uh, reported the other day. She said, um, I was using local development. My environment broke. So I opted into Codespace or I switched it over to Codespaces. And she was like, I actually shipped my task in my Codespace before my local development environment rebuilt. And that was just like, I think everyone was like, wow, that is such a good good story. And so true. It's just like kind of the experience we're all having right now with, with Codespaces. We talk about it again in the blog post. You click a button, the environment's live, right? So like for every new engineer that joins GitHub, you know, I think they all are probably fairly spoiled at this point because like day one, they click a button and they're able to run that environment, like the entire github.com environment. It's just been like really incredible to watch. So Corey, the way you've explained the flow of this GitHub computer club seems a little smooth. I, I got to imagine you hit some friction. Can you share some of the struggle that you hit some opposing forces in the process of rolling this out? Yeah. I mean, I mean it's basically started with like a bunch of no, like honestly, like kind of throughout GitHub. I think I think people had seen previous iterations of code spaces. We announced it, I think, in May of 2020, right, at GitHub Satellite. Yeah. I saw the and first tweet I saw about it was Kelsey Hightower's actually. Okay. So yeah, it's it was, been that's May 2020. Long, it's been out there for a while, right? And like, I think when people first tried to use it inside of GitHub, there was a a bit of friction, right? It didn't work for them. Uh, and I think, you know, first impressions can sometimes be lasting impressions. Uh, and so when I went out there and I was just like, use this thing, it's great, it's really evolved, right? Like we feel like pretty proud of it. Like it was just a bunch of kind of no uh, left and right. And so then it became like, how are we going to build this business? And yes, the computer club was a big boost and the concierge team certainly was just like a huge, probably the most kind of high leverage kind of practice we, we discovered along the way. But a lot of this was just like startup style practices. Like we we're building a business inside of GitHub. And, and I think that's maybe useful context for anyone that's looking for... Um, trying to build adoption of their their own products in-house, right? Like you've got to think of this sometimes as like, this is your own business. How are you going to build it inside of GitHub? And when, what is a very kind of stubborn audience? Like we're all, I'm a developer, I can say that. Like we're somewhat stubborn. We find our, you know, we find the tools that work well for us. And if someone comes and says, I want to change those, yeah. your, your response is going to be, don't. Don't touch my local dev environment, Corey. Yeah. yeah, and I, you know, we'll get to this in a second. One of the great parts about code spaces is that we just commoditized like the commute, or, sorry, the compute part of this, right? Like the environment is now running somewhere else, but like dot files, VS Code setting sync, VS Code extensions, right? We bring those all to the environment, right? So you don't lose your kind of like curated workbench, right? If you've got a dot files repo set up on GitHub right now, we bring that into the compute environment and kind of like you know uh, the bring your environment and kind of your personality, your expression of yourself captured in code into that environment. We bring your workbench out to out your compute, which I think is just like a really nice touch, right? So you get this like, you get the, the, the sort of unburdened compute out here running in the cloud. So you freed up your local machine, but you can still bring your preferences into that environment. So I, I digress. Going back to kind of building the business a little bit, you know, it felt like startup tactics, right? So we had the concierge team, we had the computer club, we had effectively like, I would say guerrilla marketing. <laughs> like we were out on Slack kind of every day looking for opportunities to say like, have you tried code spaces, right? So uh, people were receiving, you know, M1 Max, right? Like M1 architecture Max. And like the GitHub GitHub build just would not yet work, right? We had not put in the investment to make this, the, the GitHub GitHub build on run on an M1 Mac. And so we'd say, hey, have you tried a code space yet? And people will be like, well, I guess I'll try. That feels like my only path right now. 
and they'd click a button, they'd come back an hour later or a day later and just be like, what in the heck? Like, this is incredible. How, like, how was this even possible? <laughs> and those people, you just win for life. Like, they're just like, and now. And like, that's their, their kind of like full mode of operating. So that was the kind of guerrilla marketing angle. We did pairing sessions. Like, so we were up in front of everyone all the time saying, if you want to get started, like, here we are. Like, we're going to hold your hand through this and sh- show you the ropes, right? Like, show you how we're doing. Kind of social proof, I think, was just really... Uh, valuable there. All hands would get in front of the entire company and demo the thing and be like, look at this. It's incredible. You just try to build hype, right? Connected with the right people. So, you know, I kind of maybe loathe to call them influencers, but, you know, the people inside of GitHub that, you know, every engineer look up to, right? Like they look up to them and say like, this is the person that, you know, I want, like I aspire to be at some point, you know, we converted them, like we won their business and they're kind of like the trendsetters and, and, and tastemakers. Uh, internally, and then really it boiled down to kind of like, I think, ruthless prioritization, right? So we listened to our users. What do you need? And we demonstrated that we could follow through on those things, right? For some reason, someone was trying to run some, you know, arcane karma test somewhere that wasn't uh, executing for them. It's just like, all right, great. Let's figure out how to make sure that works in this environment. Like that kind of thing, you know, even small tasks like that were important and, and kind of building uh, momentum. And then I'll say it again. One day we just looked up and we'd gone from a bunch of no uh, to a bunch of super fans inside of GitHub. Like we have cheerleaders. Like if you go out and look on Twitter right now, the day after we kind of announced Codespaces uh, to the world, uh, there were just like GitHubers were out there very enthusiastic about the thing. Uh, and it was a very genuine response. Like we didn't ask anyone to go do that. People are just that enthused about what we felt. Yeah. I saw a tweet from Kelsey Hightower. Again, I'll mention Kelsey. I don't know if this tweet was actually towards code spaces of the announcement, but the timing was the same day, I believe. So I think it was a subtweet around it, but he said, back in the day, we wrote code on our own computers. So I, I'd assumed yeah, that he was that reflecting too. on code spaces <laughs> in the announcement, but I didn't, I uh, wasn't sure of that. I saw that too. I mean, you used to like you run your server under, you know, in a, in a gray tower, beige tower mm-hmm. underneath your desk too, right? Like that, yeah. that those days are gone. Mm-hmm. And it kind of feels like uh, this is the outset of, um, you know, kind of this next wave of like, we're now moving development environments out and out into the cloud. Yeah. Like there's, it just feels to me like two years from now, we're going to see, you know, some incredible adoption in, in this space. Mm-hmm. You mentioned a bunch of no's and the adoption flow. At what point did, was Nat a believer in code spaces? You know, Nat holds a very high bar, right? So like, I, I remember as we were trying to get GitHub, GitHub running, uh, inside of uh, inside of code spaces, I'd go back to that. We'd show him like, hey, it's now instead of forty five minutes, it's twenty minutes. We've made these changes, yeah. and he was like, that's super cool, not good enough, right? And like, w- like we totally agreed. We're like, yep, it's not good enough, but like, just wanted to show you progress, get that feedback, and then we'd come back again and say like, we're down to ten minutes. That's great, it's not good enough. And everyone's like, yeah, you're right, it's not good enough. It's got to be seconds, right, for it to uh, to be the experience we want. And so like that was kind of the 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 iterative experience. I think Nat has been a believer in this, like where this thing could go uh, from kind of the outset, I think, of the journey. It's just been, you know, a bit of a slog as we were from uh, the very early days of like, look, we have the, all this like tech orchestrated that can produce this effect of a code space, right? The, the maybe early prototype down to like now the, the 10 second story inside of GitHub, right? That didn't happen mm-hmm. kind of overnight. But the good news is like most of that and almost all of that now has made it into the product itself, right? So like the changes that we've discovered along the way didn't just benefit GitHub, GitHub and the, the GitHub.com repository. Uh, it benefited the entire, the entire product. So I think Nat's a super fan now. I've got some screenshots from Nat that, uh, you know, uh, I look at from time to time uh, that keep me pretty enthused about the progress we've made. Mm-hmm. Even in your blog post, you took us on a journey from, I think, hours to 45 minutes to five minutes from five minutes to 10 seconds. And so it, I don't want to gloss right. I got a question around five to 10 seconds, but I don't want to gloss over the full journey. Is there anything in like the, you know, hours to 45 minutes to five minutes that journey is worth sort of covering <laughs> Shallow deeper? cloning sounds like it was a win. Yeah. Shallow cloning was a big win. Yeah. So like when I first got involved in this and I would just try to start a code space, right? I would sit there for 20 minutes staring at my terminal while I waited for the clone to complete into, into a code space. Right? So that's like gigs, right? 13 gigs yeah, uh, 13 for GitHub.com? Yeah. yeah. And that's like no way to like, I mean, I can't, like, honestly, I can't believe I had the perseverance to do this. I was spinning up tons and tons of code spaces just like and kind of watching this 
this churn. You like, wasted your more time and more someone else. So no one else would. I mean, you wasted a lot that's of right. time. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's that's yeah. My love for code spaces, right? No, no bounds. <laughs> I I put in, <laughs> I put in a lot of time just uh, you know trying to get to the point where I could say this thing works. And so yeah, sh- shallow caching was a big, I think, a big step forward for us where. We went from 45 down to like 20 minutes or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then the next big leap for us uh, was caching as much of the bootstrap activity as we could uh, well ahead of time in a GitHub action. So we have a, a nightly job that runs and basically sets up 95% uh, of our environment. That got us down to like super tight times. And then the final step was this idea of pre-build, right? So when a, when a code space is provisioned, you know, we, we clone your repository, we stick it out into um, some storage, we attach storage to compute, and we run some lifecycle commands on that. That's kind of the very high-level overview. And with pre-builds, we kind of do all of that ahead of time, right? So the thing is built, like it's ready to go. There's really no startup time. You just connect the, the, the pre-built image to compute, and you're off and running. And that was kind of the, the, the last frontier uh, for us in terms of speed. Now we're going to continue to invest in speed. I've, I've said this a few times to, to folks recently, but fast and reliable never go out of fashion. And they're going to be absolutely critical for us in code spaces, right? Like when you think about your ID, what do you want? You want fast and reliable, right? Like, you're ne- like you don't want to feel lag in this environment. It has to be always on, always available, right? So, the, you know, we want to continue to invest in these things and we will um, over and over and over again. Um, pre-builds right now, I'll, I'll just go ahead and share that, um, currently in beta. So we're onboarding customers into, into pre-builds, right? We're working with, um, customers directly on their pre-build experience. We'll be getting this out to market, um, mm-hmm. relatively soon. Yeah. Cause this is the story of GitHub using code spaces. Not, that doesn't mean that every enterprise that is in the sweet spot, you know, uh, that has a large enough organization that has the scale of an organization that can actually, you know, leverage the time savings. Sure. You know, small teams might win potentially by going to the cloud, and that may prove successful. But this is GitHub Store using it, and these are the things you've had to do to get there, which is pre-builds and, you know, shell cloning and whatnot. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think that, um, you know, that's why we launched, I think, with Teams and Enterprises first. It fits that use case super well, right? Like, no, like no doubt about it. And there's lots, lots of Docker competency yeah. in those organizations, container competency, et cetera. But I would also say that it's, like, very easy to get started with code spaces. So like I don't want to scare anyone away with the GitHub story. Yes, it took a ton of work, but a lot of that now is just part of the product, right? So like we've done the discovery, and then we've captured that in the in the product itself. Uh, so even if you don't know like anything about like say Docker containers, for instance, like you can launch a code space today, and it drops you in kind of a default image that has the tooling for you know, so many frameworks that you're used to kind of working with Node or Rails or Java, et cetera, right? So it's like a default option. And then uh, we maintain a, a community-powered repository, VS Code Dev Containers is the name of the, the repository, uh, where there are, I, I don't have a number offhand, but let's say hundreds of community-powered images, right, that you can reference in your devcontainer.json and launch immediately into an environment uh, that's, you know, well-suited for, let's say, Ruby on Rails, for instance, right? So, like, it's not, you know, it's not this, like, oh, you have to be a Docker uh you know, expert to be able to use code spaces whatsoever. There are all kinds of, you know, kind of uh, easy entries um, into code spaces. So there's a discrepancy in the numbers. You have a thousand engineers and 600 on code spaces. So are there 400 holdouts or does it not apply to them? Or what's the situation with these, these 400 stragglers? Yeah, it's a good question. Our efforts have been primarily focused on um, GitHub, GitHub, right? The core kind of GitHub.com repository. Mm. There are literally thousands of repositories inside of GitHub, probably hundreds of active repositories. And so we need to go win the rest of you know, GitHub's business, right? So like the story right now has been primarily focused on the majority of development uh, inside of GitHub, and that that's through mm-hmm. through.com. So um, I think I mentioned this earlier too, but the intent is sometime in September to kind of sunset um, Mac OS development as the officially supported platform and pour all of our energy uh, into Codespaces for .com development. Uh, and can, this will start to kind of push out into other other repositories inside of GitHub. Mm. Yeah, this is a big push, too, even internally. I think you mentioned a little bit in your blog post the the Mac OS-centric nature. Even the, the, the I, I guess, the challenge of the transition was pulling away from a Mac OS-centric dev environment to something that was more Linux-based, Linux VMs that are being run inside of Codespaces. Can you speak to, to that a bit? 
Yeah, you know, I think there's uh, years and years and years of assumptions that, you know, we were always going to like develop on Mac OS, right? And like, it's interesting because you, you think about CI, for instance, right? You try to get like CI as close to, uh, to your production, resemble your production environment as possible, right? So that you're guaranteed that, you know, the integrity of your code in this, in this environment is likely to, you know, kind of transfer into, into production, right? But development, we had this weird gap where everyone was kind of on Mac OS, loves Mac OS. I'm a big Mac OS user. I'm not going to convert to a Unix platform for development. Like that's just not kind of the way that I want to work. I quite enjoy being on Mac OS. And so the good news here is that we didn't have to convert anyone to a Unix platform. And in fact, maybe those on Unix also are quite happy now because they can continue to use uh, Unix platforms. But you stick on, you know, Mac OS, you use VS Code or you use VS Code in the browser, right? It's the web UI for code spaces. You're able to stay in your environment, so your Mac OS environment. But now we've just moved the, the compute away, right? So now the compute is running in a container out on the cloud. And to, and to me, again, like maybe I've said this already, that was the magic moment. For me, with all of this, the kind of big aha breakthrough for me was I'm still kind of on macOS. I'm in VS Code locally. I'm getting this native experience. My dot files are synced out, right? Setting syncs running for me. I'm using my extensions. And I don't feel any lag. Like that, like to me, that was just incredible. The fact that I could just sit here and like bang away on my keyboard and know that that code was somehow, you know, kind of like magically synced out into the cloud without me taking any action. And now I'm able to open up my terminal and run my code um, directly from VS Code. Right. And your fans probably aren't running at top speed. Exactly. Yes. A lot of this is like, it's just kind of strange suddenly. You're just like, <laughs> this is all kind of working together and working. I'm used to my laptop being on fire while I'm developing and it's no longer the yes, case. Right. Like Docker's not running on my desktop, right? Docker's running out on a, on a cloud, right? And like just a really cool moment and experience. And like, you know, I had some skepticism around this workflow because of prior experiences I'd had out there you know, some number of years ago using cloud-based development environments that didn't quite meet, you know, I think the standard that maybe every developer holds for themselves. Yeah. But I don't really, f I haven't felt any of that um, in, in code spaces. So you mentioned that uh, the lens that you're speaking from here today and the blog post you put out so far is around github.com development. So there's hundreds, thousands, I can't recall what you said, repos being used inside of GitHub. So is it safe to say that as organizations adopt and use code spaces, they're going to have to get specific about which repos they support on code spaces and each repo or team type might need like an API team might need different love and support or concierge than say the dot com you know, for their business. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't think so necessarily. I think this is just a, it, I just asked someone on the team a couple of days ago to pull the list of repositories that have been added with code spaces over the past you know, couple of weeks. And there were uh, uh, dozens, right, that have like now kind of like started, at least started to explore, if not fully embraced code spaces. And I think what you need probably is kind of the, the what's the word I'm looking for here? The, the flagship offering in your organization, right? So like you need the one kind of reference point where you can show and demonstrate to other people like how, you're, how you've been successful with that repository. And, and that's GitHub, GitHub or doc, the dot com repository for us, right? So we've demonstrated like we can be incredibly successful with what is the most challenging product inside yeah. of GitHub, right? Like anything after this actually should just kind of be easy, fairly easy. Like yeah. I don't, I don't want to like, it, there's still some effort, uh, but uh, you know, it, it feels like we now have a great point of reference for other people to, to latch on and adopt. Well, when you have a 13 gigabyte repository with a lot of dependencies and a lot of engineers, 600 engineers, at least based upon this smaller sample size of a thousand engineers within your organization, that's that's significant. Yeah, you know, that's yeah, that's going to be hard to get onto a whole new <laughs> paradigm for developing everyday software. You know, like, I think so too. And like you've got to do it though. Like you like that. Like we've got it. Like you win the business because you you build a better tool, right? And I think that's what it boils down to. Like uh, it shouldn't be about necessarily preference. Like what you want is like value and productivity. Like did we build a better experience? And like can we actually become the preferred experience? Right. That that's really kind of what we're after mm -hmm. here. Is like. As long as you're building a fantastic product that gives developers, you know, that, that feels like that, like they're more productive, they've got a better tool in their hand, like they're gonna, like they'll use it. Like there's no question about it. Like I would never say no to a better tool, and that's what that's what we see uh, inside of GitHub, right? And it's not just like, oh, I've taken my laptop now and I've moved it out to the cloud. Like, and in fact, I think we discourage that model. Like I don't want you just to recreate your laptop in the cloud. That doesn't make a ton of sense for us, right? Like when I say us, I mean the developer community. 
Like we want to, you know, be able to work in parallel environments, on-demand environments, reproducible environments, et cetera. So you don't want to go curate this kind of like bespoke laptop replacement in the cloud. You want to think about a thousand lap, the infinite number of laptops in the cloud that you can provision on demand for the task at hand, right? So we think about these as kind of like task-based. So we have a one-to-one kind of concept between I've started a branch and here's the code space for that branch. These are kind of maybe short-lived, right? You work on a branch for a week or something. And with it, you know, your code space. And at the end of that, you'd retire that code space, spin up a new one for your your next set of work. So let's revisit this dot feature, which is very exciting. You're on github.com and you're on a repo. For example, I have the FCF repo open right now. I'm looking at the readme and you hit the dot, the period button, the dot on your keyboard. Explain what happens. Yeah, I mean that is uh, right now. I don't. I don't know that we've given it like an official name. Behind the scenes, we refer to this as the web editor instead of GitHub. Right? Many people have called it GitHub.dev. A few have called it Code Spaces. Right? Yeah. Uh, but the idea was, you know, we're launching Code Spaces. Right? We 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 know it's kind of well suited based on our experience internally for teams and enterprises at this point. Right? But like the ethos of GitHub is developer first, without a doubt. Right? Like, always has been. Um, and so when we launched Codespaces, we wanted to make sure that we could give every developer on .com um, a better editing experience, right? So when you hit that dot button today, you, 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 you move into VS Code kind of multi-file editing experience, right? So that's VS, fully functional VS Code and the browser attached to a repository. And from that repository, you're able to do basically any kind of Git operation, right? So like you can open a PR in that space. Uh, you can make changes in that space. You can commit from that space. So, like, there's a lot of, like, code spaces similarity here um, where it falls short, right? Like, what like what we don't do here is offer uh, compute, right? So, you can't, like, actually execute the code that's in that environment, mm. right? There's not a terminal in that environment. And those things, you know, we offer up in code spaces itself. So, you know, the next story for us is, like, how do we kind of connect these environments, right? So, we want you to be able to move from .dev into a code space kind of seamlessly, and so that'll be some of the next experience. So, so to answer the question, you know, .dev is kind of a multi-file edi- editing experience and, you know, the best, the best, uh, you know, editor on the planet as far as I'm concerned in, in the browser. And it's something that folks have wanted for, from GitHub for, for quite some time. Yeah, this has now become the de facto way that I will peruse some source code on GitHub. I used to just sit there and click through the little slide by file browser thing. And it had some cool stuff like the 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 command T or the T, the integration fuzzy finder stuff in that UI. But why do that now? You just hit dot and then it just takes you to basically VS code in the cloud pointed at that repo. It's awesome. We, I think it's awesome too. And yeah, we saw the same experience inside of GitHub. So we built the thing, we shared it internally and we said, can a few people use this and kind of give us your feedback and experience. So, um, you know, tell us where it needs to improve. And then I think we looked at usage numbers a couple of days later internally and we were like, oh, wow, like we're creating a lot of value here right away. Like it's just like immediate uptake inside of GitHub. Mm. And I think it is, you know, the, the primary means through which um, people do kind of explore code now. And that just happened o- overnight, effectively, kind of when we launched the thing. I was on an um, interview a few days ago with a candidate and we just announced this. It was the day of, day of GA and, and announced. And uh, he was talking about how he uses GitHub as kind of the center of his learning journey, right? Like it's just always been like he said, GitHub and Stack Overflow, my two tools when it comes to learning. So he's sitting on GitHub and I'm like, have you seen the .dev stuff? And he said, no, what's that? And I had him hit the dot button. I'll just never forget his reaction. So satisfied in that moment. He's like, <laughs> what is happening? This is incredible. It's like so great. And it was just a really neat kind of moment moment to have. Mm-hmm. This is very much an on-ramp then, I would say, to comfortability with code spaces. Life in the cloud. <laughs> life in the cloud. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you will see that transition at some point, like, like you'll be in some environment, you'll want to make a change to it or like, you'll just kind of want to execute it. Right? right. And so you'll be like, now, how do I move into compute? Right. And like, we want to make that, that transition seamless for you. So you can attach compute into this environment, mm-hmm. do what you need to do. Uh, and then, you know, in other cases, it's just a, this read tool. I would imagine the dominant use case of .dev is going to be primarily for just re- kind of reading and browsing. Gotcha. Code. Yeah. And when I saw Nat's tweet on this and I connected the dots, I was like, okay, timing of your blog post and the announcement of your team transitioning to use code spaces and this dot, and we're a team organization on GitHub. I'm like, hey, we've got code spaces. So I was like, this is, this is sweet. I like it. Yeah, there's been a you know so a little bit of confusion, confusion there uh, okay. around that, but like 
I mean, it's been fine for the most part. Like I, I feel like uh, didn't quite give it a name. And I thought people would probably call it .dev and like we're seeing people largely call it .dev. But at some point, it, you know, it will fold into what I think is like a comprehensive code spaces experience. Mm -hmm. So let's say I'm on the code spaces product and I have my customizations in there somehow. And we haven't talked about how you do that or is that team level. Per hopefully it's personal. Hopefully it's probably both with like a CSS cascade. It's a bit of both, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if, they were, if this was tighter integrated with that, like would my extensions, I'm looking at this, the, it's a stock VS code, right? Even is missing some language support because you probably just put like the top 10 languages in there. Would I bring my extensions into this? Would I bring my custom, my VS code config into this? And yeah. what would it look like? Yes, I think .dev today supports like setting sync, for instance. Um, and I'm pretty sure, and I can't say this with 100% uh, the, the confidence, I should go look into this right now. At least on the code spaces side, you know, you codify in dev container.json, right? You capture your extensions that you want kind of available in that environment. We specify them for every engineer, right? Uh, and you're able to specify kind of the machine profile or SKU that you kind of enter into. And then we bring, using setting sync, Visual Studio setting sync, we bring your settings that you've configured as kind of like your development environment and VS code into that code space with you, right? So like that's, that's their present. Uh, with you. And then again, the dot files repository. And a lot of people don't know what that is. So I'll just clarify a little bit. So the dot files repository is literally called dot files, <laughs> D-O-T-F-I-L-E-S inside of your repository or sorry, inside of your, your um, GitHub account, right? Mm -hmm. So if you go to github.com slash Corey Wilkerson, for instance, right, and you create a dot files repo there, then any repo that I provision, you, you, you throw a flag somewhere in code spaces settings, right? Then any repo, or sorry, any code space that I provision kind of consumes that dot files repository content and, you know, allows me to kind of configure my environment in the state that I want it to be to, yeah. uh, uh, to develop. Which is great because you took over a paradigm that everyone was already using. I think people have had dot files repos. Yeah, that's right. For pretty much ever, either sharing them or, you know, sharing them between themselves with different machines or just being a share of natural open source tendencies. So. That's one thing I love about GitHub is that, you know, oftentimes there is that kind of like a little bit of magic, right? That someone, someone somewhere along the way, someone says, you know, people already have dot .files repositories. Like, why don't we just give them an option to just pull that directly into the environment? And you're like, wow, that is brilliant. Exactly why I love GitHub, right? Like taste, aesthetic, like we, like we know what developers want and what's going to feel magical. And like those moments are always just very, very cool to kind of trip into. Mm -hmm. You get like, you get a couple per project like that. Uh, and it's what I think makes GitHub uh, just really, really special. So this is interesting. I'm on github.dev. I'm looking at the FCF repo. I installed the Vim emulation extension into that VS Code instance. Then I visit another repo in another tab, and I hit dot, go to github.dev, and that extension is installed in this instance as well. Is this like a local storage thing? Is this attached to my GitHub account? How's that working? Yeah, that's actually like at this point using browser storage, okay. right? So like that's all that's all attached to browser storage. That's cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a nice it's a nice step. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot about that. That's a, yeah, it's a relatively new product, right? So we're yeah. gonna be listening to customers and iterating, et cetera. But that that's the experience that we kind of launched with at, at this point. Most of what you see in that environment, GitHub.dev, right? We call it browser compute, right? So everything that we're doing uh, is kind of supported by what we can do directly in the browser. Right, like the, the story right. kind of stops there. There's obviously API calls that are happening in the background sure. out to GitHub to, uh, you know, bring bring the repository contents in to push, et cetera, and get operations. But for the most part, it's like what like what can we accomplish in the browser? Well, it's a new product slash feature, but it's in the running for probably my favorite new feature in many many <laughs> years. I mean, yeah. this is just yeah, yeah. spectacular. Yeah, I uh, it's it's part of my daily daily workflow now. Like it's hard for me to. Like, I don't know the last time I've cloned anything to my machine. I just don't do that anymore. Like, I hop into a repository to either .dev to look at the contents or into a code space to actually, like, change a thing. Yeah. And, in fact, like, I find myself, like, engaged with many more uh, repositories now just because I have that access, right? Like, I don't have to go through this additional step of, like, grab a URL, clone it down, open it in VS Code locally. Like, all that kind of stuff right. is just, like, gone for me now. So. Interesting to see, you know, at a macro level, what kind of impact this will have on like productivity, exploration, contributions in OSS. Like, right. like how is this going to like meaningfully 
meaningfully change things. Well, like the in-browser editors definitely helped with the drive-by contributions, right? When there was a typo or there's like a thing that's missing and you could just edit it right there in your browser. It took you it took you away from that friction again, doing the clone, all the things you just described. But when it came time to do slightly more complex things, we all went to the clone process, right? Whereas now maybe we just go into this editor and like you said, it might really ramp up like slightly more complicated uh, contributions. I mean, you couldn't be more right about this. Like I can tell you, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Manager inside of GitHub, right? I've been, like I've been a management for a while and, you know, at one point yeah, I was a, a very good programmer, I like to think, but maybe not so much anymore. Uh, and it's nice to be able to hop into a thing and make a few changes, right? Just like straight away without having to deal with all the environment complexity, render the thing when I'm in a code space and see like, actually that did have the, the kind of like intended or desired effect that I hoped it would. And then maybe I, then I have the energy to kind of like take it the rest of the way. Mm-hmm. Right. So like there, there's all these kind of like the tech is super cool. The experience is super cool. The thing works really well. And you're like, wow, this is incredible. We're finally here as an industry. Like we finally made it this moment that that's great but this is like other story of like so what does that mean now now that we're here like like what happens like it seems incredible like the 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 kind of second order effects we might see of having now reached this place where this is a viable option for development Mm -hmm. so here's a couple of grab bag questions about code spaces kind of the devx if i'm actually using it how does this work what does this feel like Uh, the first one is test data so when you're developing, you like to have like something that is like a snapshot or looks something like what Prod looked at at some point, or maybe you want to generate a bunch of test data. How does that work inside of the code spaces setup? So I can tell you that GitHub engineers today, so for the doc, .com code base, right, we have a, a number of seed scripts, right, that we use to kind of see the database ahead mm-hmm. of time, right? Uh, and those are executed in our bootstrap processes, and those are done in pre-builds today. So by the time you provision an environment today, you're up and running on your, your .com code base, you have seed, seed data ready to go um, in, your, in your database. I expect we'll see the same same pattern across, you know, uh, yeah. anyone using code spaces. And then, like, you can do the same thing, like, off on your... Uh, off on a branch as well, right? So like, instead of like, this is really cool to think about. So instead of now having to like you know, destroy your local database environment because you want to review someone else's change that makes modifications to that database, like, that doesn't happen anymore. Like you're looking at a different code space, right? Like you're like you're you're experiencing these changes in a clean environment, clean context. So you've got your stable code space over here, but maybe you have you know versions A, B, and C out here in discrete code spaces that are making what would otherwise be destructive changes to maybe your main branch that now you can explore without any kind of repercussions into your local environment. Mm. Well, it's like you said, you have access to infinite laptops. Exactly. I think that's a different change in paradigm. It's like infinite branches at once versus like single branch. It is. And that, that is the thing that like the industry is just like, it takes a second. It does. (laughs) Like you're so used to like working in this like one model and like you, you just have this like mental model of that that's how we do development and then at some point on your code spaces journey or, or whatever you're going to find a, a moment where you're like actually no the real model that i want is this ta- kind of task centric model hmm. this pre-build though i'm thinking about it from a changelog.com perspective we back up our database to s3 pretty four or five times a day jared or on the hour what's what's the time frame again it's either hourly or every three hours something like that so I'll often literally go and hand pull that from S3 down to local and I'll run a script that we have in a repo. I'm wondering if in a code spaces environment, if we had pre-builds that we couldn't codify that into say a GitHub action or the process of creating that pre-build, go grab that latest production database. Yeah. You wouldn't even need a pre-build necessarily. I mean, pre-builds will make it faster, right? Like at the end of the day, but like you can do that without, without pre-builds too, right? Mm-hmm. It's just a container, right? And there's like life cycle events in that container that we fire. Mm-hmm. One is called post create command. And in post-create, that means the source has been provisioned onto your code space. The code space is stood up. It's live. It's ready to go. And we can call this lifecycle event. You can hook into it. And you can say, now go grab this thing from S3, pull it down, hydrate it in this environment, do whatever. Right. Yeah. So like we give you kind of lifecycle hooks. And I, I can't enumerate them all. There's several out in the documentation you can read about right. that allow you to kind of hook in and do things at, at certain points of time. But it's, certainly you could do it in just a... Like you could build your own image right now. So GitHub does this. We have a, a base image that... Uh, that we use, that we specify in our dev container.json file, which is built ahead of time that gives you most of the GitHub environment, right? 
And then with pre-builds and a few other tools, we take it just the last mile. But like 95% of this is built for us on a nightly basis and, and ready to go. And that's that's not pre-built. That's literally just building a Docker image. We publish it to the GitHub package registry, and then we consume it in our code space by referencing it in the dev container.json file. Mm-hmm. So I'm getting a little technical there. No, that's please go there. I, I think the next thing I want to ask you to do is just dream with us then. So if this is today, where will tomorrow be? Where will code spaces take teams that, that now have this capability today? Like that's unheard of. And the compute, like you know, a one-line compute chain from a, you know, based upon your blog post, a 16-gig memory instance to a 64-gig memory instance. Yeah, that's a really incredible experience. Like, and like I, you know, I put in that that quote. I think there's a caption in the blog post that says something like, you know, bypass you know, config one config change and bypass the global supply chain bottleneck. Yes. Yeah, I love which that. Which is to- totally true, right? Like, you can now just say, well, we want a, a 16 cores or 32 cores or whatever in config and like upgrade everyone's machine if you want, assuming that you know you've got. The approval to do right. so when within your organization, like, sure, sure, yes, it's possible. Right. You're, be responsible. You're describing right. the possibility, not the not the uh, adherence to standards or internal organization opportunities. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. This is just a it's a thing that could be done. Well, dream with us. Where is this going to go? Yeah, you know, uh, like I'm going to get. I'll, I'll I'll go so far as to say, like I think the majority of the industry is probably using this model five years from now, right? And that that actually feels pretty far out to me. There are a lot of people in this space right now kind of pursuing this same kind of thing. And I think what we're going to see is just a lot of momentum as we kind of move this last frontier out into the cloud as people get more and more comfortable with it. It takes people like GitHub saying, like, we're doing this and actually kind of like living the experience and doing it. I think the first the first folks we'll see, the early adopters, are going to be really high-performance engineering teams that look to get, you know, every ounce of productivity and value creation out of their engineers that they can find on a daily basis, right? Like they understand that productivity loss is bad for the, the individual. It's bad for the, the business. Like people want to be focused on creating, right? That's why you kind of get into this. It's not like you want to toil over your environment. You want to go build something. And actually, if you look, um, you know, you, you kind of like if, if you're in the industry, you understand that many of the, the the top shops out there have built something like Code Spaces. I'm not going to name uh, names here, but like there's a, a few customers that we work with that would, for instance, like run their CI suite, like run CI tests out in some environment and then just leave the environment for some developer to kind of like claim and like work on at that point, right? It's like the entire thing set up. You can just attach to it and work now. And other large shops, I think actually Google is well known for, I think their Cider IDE, a web-based IDE that they've used that they, that, that they love as far as I understand. Uh, that provides some of these same capabilities in, internal to Google. So, like, the, the early adopters are already there in many ways, right? Yeah. I think GitHub is kind of the, 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 the brings this out to the entire industry. I think you'll see kind of a similar kind of maybe cloud adoption curve from, like, you know, we move workloads from our precious server rack out into the cloud. Maybe you see something here with the, the same kind of curve with code spaces, but maybe at a faster clip now because we have this kind of industry trust in, mm-hmm. uh, in the cloud. So I really do think, like, it's going to be – you see GitHub engineers, I'll say this, coming into the industry right now, right? They're coming straight out of school, straight into GitHub. And this is how they're starting their development experience, right? This is the way they know how to develop now. And, like, we're going to see this more and more to the point that five years from now, like, I feel like local development will have disappeared in the background. You'll still need it for some cases. But majority of developers will want to be uh, in an environment like Codespaces. What happens if that environment goes away? Seems like you're you're hung out to dry if GitHub is down or your credit card expires and you lose access. Oh, Jared, I trust me. I heard this question many times <laughs> as we were ramping <laughs> developers on on to GitHub. I feel like I have a perfect response for that. Okay. Uh, no, you know that that is like so. First, we, we we will continue to invest in being fast and reliable. Like no doubt about it. Like this thing has to be. Uh, what Microsoft has this language, a dial tone service, right? So it's got to be like, like, so it's a bit out of date, but it's got to be on, like yeah. constantly on all the time. What we've done internally uh, in the event that we were to lose it, you know, access to code spaces, uh, we build an image um, that's much like our code spaces container image, right? Kind of like tracks that, that, that environment closely. Uh, and it's available for any GitHuber to pull down right now out of the GitHub package registry and t- internally at GitHub, and they can just run it in Docker, or they can use VS Code remote containers, right? Which is like a large part of the tech that Codespaces is built on, but you can just do it locally. So you can launch VS Code, you plug it into a container you're running locally now. This this image that we built is our backup, and you can do, you know, perform GitHub, GitHub development in that uh, context on your local machine. Mm. So if a GitHub was on a flight, which in this day and age is... 
strange and anxiety sure. filled, but I'm sure one day we'll get to a point where it's less so. You're going to want to code. You're going to want to be productive on that on that flight. Is that how they do it then? That would be the path that I think I would use, that we would use right now. Yeah, that would be the path. I mean, maybe the, the platform evolves to some point where you can imagine we have VS Code, right? Like, like that's something that we work on. And you can say like, oh, well, you know, we're a code spaces user. How do I pull this environment down to VS Code right now? So I'm, I'm going to go offline and how can I, you know, I can imagine that being a thing that we ship alongside VS Code at some point. But right now, just telling you how GitHub does it, mm-hmm. we kind of keep this local image in the background in the event that we do need to use it. Um, and, and you know, we, we've used it a few times, not because uh, Codespaces has been down, but because we have folks that aren't ready to move. They're on certain repositories where they don't feel like moving or they want to use Sublime still or you know, whatever the use case is. Like we maybe haven't won the business of one or two engineers yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a, you know, it's a thing that, uh, that you know, we have, that, that that's our fallback. How integral to all of this is VS Code? It sounds like it's right, like it has to be there. I know you've enabled Vim people and Emacs people to connect via SSH, but that seems like a workaround or like a, here you go, guys, here's something. Yeah, VS Code, well, I think, will always kind of be the premier client in the code spaces. Like, it's just, like, you know, it's the, the, the paved path that we have right now. And it, it, today, it's essential to the experience, mm-hmm. right? We do have a number of Vim and Emacs users internally. We want to win their business as well. And we've done the work inside of GitHub to do that. So something we're working on right now uh, where you should be able to you know, effectively just shell into your environment, use Vim and Emacs directly in the code space, right, without the VS Code client. So that's definitely on the roadmap for us and something that, you know, we're pursuing. Um, we've built it internally. We were able to convert our, you know, Emacs and Vim users, uh, those that develop on .com regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Nat, Nat's a Vim user, right? I want to win Nat's business too. <laughs> nice. Uh, so that, that's, you know, very, a very important thing for us to um, to pursue. So one thing VS Code has done, which is awesome, is a language server protocol and really separating the implementations of those of the highlighting and the syntax stuff into this protocol that you can then plug into. And then everybody who's doing a, you know, maybe I'm in charge of Golang, and I just have to do that once and provide it. And all these different, you know, Vim can use it, VS Code can use it, etc. You almost could see a layer like that for these cloud integrations, yours specifically with where maybe you could make Vim code spaces aware somehow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say that's a, a, an interesting thought and probably something that we you know, would explore at some point, like Vim itself being kind of code spaces aware. Um, yeah. I, li- I like the way that you're thinking, Jared. Well, because there are a lot of people that just will not use VS Code. And you just wonder, like, are you just leave them in the dust eventually? No, I because mean, how integral is it? I understand that today it's like a bastion. It's a huge part of it. But is that wise on the long term because we're trying to get everybody into this circumstance over the you know what i'm saying absolutely i mean we like it's early days i would say stay stay tuned on what we're doing here yeah. the, the work that we're doing inside of github right now to support ssh and emacs users the story does not or sorry vim and uh, uh, emacs users does not stop inside of github like we have no intent of just saying like this works just for github like mm-hmm. that's not where the story goes mm-hmm. like we want as many people on code space like we think this is the future right the way that people will work uh, and we want to bring that to a number of clients. You know, right now the the, the super paid path is VS Code, no doubt about it. Yeah. But like, if the focus is productivity, the focus is on building kind of the next generation of developer tooling. We've got to go support you know uh, additional clients as well. For sure. Yeah, I guess my thoughts around VS Code. I mean, it's an amazing piece of technology, and it is. My concern with it on the long term, as I see more and more things going in there, is like eventually, you know, Microsoft Word had too many features in my humble opinion and so my concern as vs code over time is like how well will that be maintained and i'm sure the, the motivations are there and the engineering is there and uh, all the intentions are there to make sure it's like best in breed editor forever but what if it's not and are we locked into it? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I, I all I can say is the VS Code team is super passionate about what they built. Like, totally. no doubt about it. I work closely with those guys, and they have they have remarkable like remarkable taste. That entire team from mm-hmm. top to bottom, just like they they they've won business uh, because of you know the, their taste and kind of commitment to to developers. Yeah, right. And so I'm not trying to take anything away from them. Like I said, it's amazing and it's impressive. And we've we spoke with those folks on the show before, and I couldn't agree more with you yeah just on the long arc of technology things do change over time and so uh i just would like to see like are there options are there is there escape hatches or are there 
Could we have sure, a heterogeneous? You know, does, that, does it all have to be one thing in the future, or do we have options as developers? So. Yeah, I think you know, code spaces. At the end of the day, I'll just say is you know, we're running development containers and and the cloud, right? Like yeah. that's kind of the core of the product. VS Code today provides the kind of premium path into that. Totally. We want to meet developers where they are, no doubt about it, right? There's like no question about that. Uh, you know, I feel very fortunate to work closely with VS Code people and kind of watch them work, right? And the work that they've done today. And I, uh, what's made them special is just their conviction of building something fantastic. So uh, same inside of GitHub, right? Reason I was drawn to GitHub, hold a very high bar for ourselves and just want to ship fantastic product. And if we don't ship fantastic product, we won't win business, right? The goal is uh, to build a best-in-class product for the best engineering teams on the planet. Yeah. Well, Corey, thank you for sharing the story and, uh, you know, giving us a preview of the future, I suppose, even the now and the future, you know, really. Join us. Yeah, we would love we would love to to work with you, like help you, Adam, get your product up and running on code spaces. Yeah, let's do we, it. We, uh, we will entertain that for sure. We have a whole entire show called Ship It that's really about taking our application to production. I kind of feel like this is somewhat there because it's the it's where a developer meets going to production, which is actually coding. So. I think we'd love to dig deeper into this for sure. So it'd be it'd be awesome to make that happen. Let's ship it. I'm at yeah, Gerhard's been talking about us doing our coding in some sort of cloud setup for a while. And I've always told him, like, no, the cloud's not ready for us. You know, you're going to have to, you're going to pry this terminal out of my cold, dead hands. But <laughs> things change and I can change too. So that would be fun to, to dig into that a little bit. I'm totally up for the challenge. Let's get together and try to ship it. Nice. All right. Corey, thank you so much. It was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for this special episode with Corey Wilkerson on GitHub Codespaces. Corey started this journey as a skeptic and didn't think this would be a fruitful journey. Now on the other side of this journey, Corey sees Codespaces as the future. The proof? 600 of the 1,000 developers inside GitHub are developing github.com on Codespaces today. And all that friction for new users, that value creation time wasted, and everything else being held back by the brittle nature of local dev can now be lifted by the promise and future of coding in the cloud at scale. What do you think? Let us know in the comments. I want to give a shout out to a few people behind the scenes on this episode. Jenny Chow, Senior Manager of Corporate Communications at GitHub. She played a key role in helping us shape the narrative for this conversation. And Kurt Mackey, co-founder and CEO of Fly. Kurt is awesome. He's a big supporter of the work we're doing here at ChangeLog. And if you haven't tried Fly yet, today's a good day to change that. Check him out at fly.io. Thanks again, Kurt, for making this episode interruption-free. Of course, huge thanks to our awesome partners, Linode, Fastly, and LaunchDarkly. Also, thanks to Breakmaster Cylinder for producing all of our awesome beats. And last but not least, thank you to you for listening to the show. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend. We'd love to have them as a listener. Word of mouth is by far the best way for shows like ours to get discovered. That's it. This show's done. We'll see you on the next one.